Hello and welcome to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. This week's episode inspiration comes from a book I've been reading called Drive. I'm working on a project for a corporate client. It's one of those super annoying hush, hush, I can't tell anyone about this type things, which makes it sound like it's a really big deal, but I promise you it's not. It's unlikely you will ever hear about this project again. Anyway, it required me to read a bunch of self-improvement books, which obviously I really love doing. I decided to be super lazy and outsource my book collecting. I called on one of my favorite secondhand bookstores. It is Canties in Canberra. If you've never been there, you absolutely have to go. The owner, Luke, is heaven and he will help you with anything you need. Seriously, I save all my secondhand book shopping for when I'm there. Anyway, I messaged Luke with this ridiculous list of books that he pulled from the shelves for me. And he also asked a customer of his that's always reading self-improvement books to add to the pile. And I'm not even kidding. This guy spent ages going over the self-improvement section. He added a whole bunch of titles he thought I'd find useful. I have no idea who this guy is. He has no idea who I am, but I really appreciate it. Self-improvement guy. Thank you. So anyway, one of the books that this guy added to the pile was Drive. Honestly, I don't love super dry self-improvement books. My mind tends to wander. This one isn't particularly entertaining, but the main concept behind it really stuck with me. Motivation isn't about rewards or punishments. It's about joy. Well, He says it's about satisfaction, but joy is kind of a nicer and more visceral word. The author points out that a really famous example of joy overriding traditional motivators like money or accolades. This example is Microsoft and Carter. Do you guys remember those really expensive CDs that were an encyclopedia, but on your desktop? and Wikipedia. And you guys obviously know what Wikipedia is. It's where you go to look up all the stuff on the internet. So Encarta and Wikipedia kicked off at about the same time. Wikipedia was user generated. So that means that people contributed to it for free and it was also free to use. Microsoft Encarta was both paid for by the user and the creators were paid. And Carter went broke and Wikipedia is still going strong today. So it's a simplistic overview, but the author says that people who contributed to Wikipedia and continue to contribute to Wikipedia are the reason for its success. They really care about accurate information being available and that's what drives them to continue. Not money, not fame, not any other kind of reward, just the satisfaction or joy if you want to look at it that way. This got me thinking about joy and happiness in general and how it contributes to our overall productivity. And that brings me to this week's friend guest, my beautiful mate, Amy. Her surname used to be Dunham, but she's married now and I have no idea how to pronounce her new surname without butchering it. So I'll leave that to her. Amy is in a word, total dynamite. We met doing musical theater in Canberra 15 years ago. That's where she still lives today. We were pink ladies in a production of Grease. She played Marty and I played Jan. Amy is the type of person that does all the things. Seriously, she does all of them. She's got boundless energy and joy while doing them. I thought she'd be the perfect person to discuss the concept of joy as the main player in motivation rather than discipline. So Amy is a high school drama teacher, a mother of a two-year-old, and she regularly performs in theater productions that often run for weeks at a time. Yet she always brings her sunshine wherever she goes. Here's my chat with Amy about happiness and productivity. 
Hello, darling. How are you? Hi, it's nice to see you. <laughs> it's so nice to see you. Before we get started, can you tell me how to pronounce your new last name? Because to me, you will always be Dunham, but uh, I, I need to give the new one a crack. Well, you can always call me Dunham. I love and appreciate <laughs> that still. Um, it doesn't look like it should sound like this, but it is technically Kovalchuk. Kovalchuk. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will include the spelling in your episode so that people can see how it's spelt and how. Feel free to pop it in phonetically. (laughs) Does does anyone ever get it right? No, never. It sounds like they're sneezing. I would have said koalzuk or koalzuk. Which is probably closer than a lot of my poor students. I let them off the hook and they're allowed to call me Mrs. K. Bless their souls. (laughs) I love that one. How has your week been, my love? Oh, look. Unsurprisingly, it's been quite busy. It's been <laughs> it's been an enormous week. Um, so I've recently moved over to a new school where I've um, taken on point six. So I've got three classes. My Masters of Applied Theatre and Performance starts next week. So I've been organising my schedule and colour coding everything and setting up my office space. We had my two year old daughter's birthday party, getting her off to to school and care and that kind of thing. So it's, yeah, it's been big. Yeah, we've we've had a, a fairly busy week here too as well. But like we have so, I have so many people that listen to the show that are teachers and nurses and like shift workers and stuff like that, because a lot of productivity podcasts and productivity tips and stuff are generally for people who, you know, are in control of their own time. Mm -hmm. And when you're a teacher, you can read all the productivity tips in the world. And it's like, well, I still have to be at work at 8.15 or otherwise I'm going to get in trouble because there's no one to get my kids off the bus. Totally. How do you you feel about that kind of stuff? Like with productivity Mm -hmm. things when your time is so finite? Uh, Look, I think some Sometimes things work better than other times. I've worded that poorly. Um, (laughs) But look, for me, there are some productivity kind of tips and tricks that I will now swear by. I've become a little bit more OCD about them the older that I've got. Things like utilising my Google Calendar, that has just become a Bible for me. Um, And I have to do silly things like schedule in drink water and make sure you have lunch and all of that kind of stuff. Because when you're a teacher, if you don't have that stuff scheduled in, it can be really easy. Students pop past and want to have a chat with you about things. And if you love what you do, which I do, I love teaching and I came into it quite late. So I want to be really present with them. But if I don't schedule in that time, then I'm just never going to forget that, it, you know, I'll always forget that it's there, you know. And it is so hard, particularly at lunchtimes, because the kids are like, oh, well, I'll come and see you at lunchtime. Mm-hmm. And it's all well and good for them because they're kind of like, oh, well, it's only going to take five minutes. But yeah. if you've got 10 kids, that take five minutes of your lunch, that's your whole lunch gone. Totally, totally. And you might need to be conducting assessment at lunchtime. You might, I mean, uh, this morning is a good example, actually. Um, so this morning I was at our swimming carnival for school, which is a totally different, you know, kettle of fish. Than I still love other swimming bits. carnival days. Oh, so fun. And these kids were getting into it hard. They were all dressed up. They were cheering. The school spirit was just, it was infectious. Speaking of joy, it was very joyous. (laughs) Well, actually, that brings me to the whole topic of today's episode. So the topic of this episode is joy and how it's the most effective motivator rather Mm. rather than punishment, reward, or just straight up discipline. The inspiration for this episode is based on a book I've read recently called Drive. It was a very Mm. dry book, but a lot of really good stuff in it. And 
Sometimes I struggle to find appropriate guests for these topics, but you just sprang to mind immediately. Like I've known That's you for nice. a long time. Like, <laughs> no, but like everyone feels the same way about you. Like, and I've known you for ages. And the one thing I find really consistent about you is how you have such a positive attitude and just a general overall joy vibe in general. And if anyone who's listening to this has met Amy, I don't think there's many people that would disagree. Um, and like, I'm seriously not blowing smoke up your ass. Like most people I know. Can- Kelly Jacobs, you're way. too kind. You're <laughs> um, too lovely. You you get a lot of shit done and you're a really busy person. Mm. Um, and is my assumption about you correct? Like, do you think that joy is your overriding motivator compared to most other things? Without a doubt, a hundred million thousand percent yes. Um, I think probably when I was a bit younger, I wouldn't have said that. I think maybe it swapped around the time that I started to work as a Captain Starlight, to be honest with you. Oh, I remember Captain Starlight. So I I was lucky enough to work for the Starlight Children's Foundation and I did that role for four years. Um, four years was all I could manage for myself. I think I've probably got extraordinarily high um, empathy and sensitivity levels, um, but I've got mates who have been in, in that profession for, you know, 10, 15 years, just incredibly resilient, joyous human beings. Um, and the, the motivator behind the position of Captain Starlight is distraction therapy and play. And something really changed in me around that time because of that role, um, that life is a very short little window of opportunity to have a bloody good time, to hold things close, to make paper mache masks and to to make the balloon animal and to spend time playing on the floor and and being present in the moment. So, look, I think when I was younger, I've always been busy. I always did about four shows a year. And I think partially for me, I mean, I always loved theatre and I always loved performing, but I think for me that was also habit and I'm the kind of person who responds really well with um, you did a good job and, you know, that, that kind of gold stars, that, gold stars, <laughs> that kind of positive affirmation thing, um, you know, and I think that can be really tricky for a young person when that is there, when all of the motivator is external. I think that can be really tricky for a person to keep up with because then the things that you love become associated with pressure. Um, one thing about the Captain Starlight position and and other opportunities that I've been fortunate enough to have either as an actor or as a teacher, as a human being, have been uh, a lot more about being in the moment and what does in the moment look like and feel like and why it's important in your everyday productivity, why it is important to not sweat the small stuff but also to engage with the small stuff and to really see the small stuff um, because that's what kind of takes a bit of that pressure off, keeps you in the moment and keeps you pushing forward. And ultimately, if you know, if you don't love it or if you don't have some kind of love for it, then why are you doing it? And not constantly looking forward for your next hit of accolades and gold stars mm. and appreciation because mm. what if you don't get the part in the play that you wanted? Totally. And what if you don't get that amazing opportunity that you went for? Then where are you going to get all your self-worth from? 
Carly, you've reminded me of something that happened. You're going to laugh at me. You're going to say, <laughs> you're going to say you're a complete nut job. But I had an unsuccessful audition. I auditioned for a play at the moment with the masters and the work and the baby and stuff, like a bit of an idiot, really, um, because I saw this opportunity come up to, um, to be in a production of Cosy. And Cosy is a play that I saw you in years ago and thought you were just shit hot amazeballs. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it as a play, but ultimately the timing was really poor and my drive of joy was so fierce that I was like, audition for it anyway because it's going to be so much fun. I had friends saying to me, what are you doing? Yeah, like props not, mate. (laughs) Props not, dude, calm down. Luckily for me, the director has thrown me a bone and I didn't get cast in that one, which (laughs) which is really funny, you know, like like I'm here kind of talking about. Which part did you try out for? I tried out for your part, my friend, (laughs) which of course went to the divine Steph Roberts. Yes. For for those of you living in Canberra, I'm not sure why I bothered showing up really because she's just. (laughs) She is is outstanding. She's outstanding. Um, But, you know, even then, like for me talking about being in the moment and talking about, you know, about the joy and all that kind of thing, even for me who I think can be quite sensible about that stuff, that external factor was still important to me. I didn't get the part and I felt that weird pang of, oh, I'm not good enough. And I had that terrible voice inside my head and I really had to work like a grown-up to kind of shake it off and say, well, look, really, it's all turned out for the best and you'll have more productivity here. But because it was going, and I know it will be so much fun, I wanted to try and make space for it. So, you know, it's not always a positive thing having joy as your motivator because you do try and cram things in when probably there just is not the space or time for them, Um, you know. But every now and again someone throws you a bone and life says, nope, I'm not going to let that happen and you just have to trust that it's the right timing. (laughs) But then also just turning that experience into something that's joyful as well. It's like, no, now I'm just going to take some time for me. This is the universe telling me that I needed to do this. Totally. Just <laughs> totally. So how how do you motivate? Because you you do a lot of things that you do want to do. Mm. How do you motivate things to how do you motivate yourself to do things that you don't want to do? Like what, like what's something that you really don't want to do? I hate cleaning. I hate it so much. Oh my God, I hate it. It <laughs> makes me feel itchy. I just, I just don't like it. I'm um Look, the the way that I have forced myself into being a good adult is all through play. Um, I have to try and make it a game. I will do stupid things like time myself doing an activity. Um, I will have little competitions with friends about who can get things done first. I always try and have a spotter around. Um, I think one thing that I've learned about the productivity in relation to um, the joy is also that you need to be quite vulnerable and you need to be unafraid to share and express yourself. So, you know, if I know that I'm going to have to do something hard, for example, um, the multiple times that I went through the process of quitting smoking, um, actually, yeah, actually putting my hand up and saying, hey, I need a spotter. I'm really bad at this. I know that this is bad and terrible and shitty for me. Have you quit now? Yeah. Yeah. Well done. But it's such a hard thing. Like it's a theatre kid thing. Like I quit ages ago. 
So it would be like six years ago now, but I quit. And I hate talking about quitting smoking because you feel dirty. <laughs> well, no, also just because like my whole shtick is, you know, doing things that are good for you and making good life choices. And, yeah. and there's certainly a lot of room for error in there, but I'm like embarrassed that I used to smoke. And, and oh, yeah. a lot of, a lot of listeners who, cause I never spoke about it on the blog. I wrote one blog post once about quitting smoking and the people were just like, you don't strike me as a smoker. I would never have thought you were mm. a smoker. Which is totally fair enough because, you know, I, I, I do promote a healthy lifestyle. Um, but I found it really difficult to quit being a theatre kid because it's part of the culture. And it's, totally. you know, when people are talking about the next play that they're going to do and they're talking about casting and they're talking about auditions, I've been offered some of the best roles of my life over a cigarette. Oh, so that yeah. was really difficult cutting that association. And that's how you bond with people. That's probably how we bond. Very social. It's an extremely social thing in, in that circle, right? Oh, and yeah. I think it's even really different these days. Like I think, you know, there used to be everybody hanging around outside stage doors, smoking with a coffee and chin wagging. These days you might find kind of one or two. But Carly, I was always a really cheeky smoker. I in fact, you're a singer as well. I'm a singer. And so that kind of used to be a bit of a secret shame thing for me. I used to hide and not tell anybody that I was doing it. And you get off it. on that. Totally. I used to be really private Same. and, you know, kind of sneaky about it. So, you know, I think for me, like, I go back to smoking on occasion time and time again when I'm in those circumstances, but I try really hard to just be honest and authentic about where I'm at with people. The only way that you can... It. Yeah, yeah. And like the only way that you can get shit done, in my opinion, is by having other people around to support those choices. So, you know, I try really hard to not be ashamed if I pick up another cigarette and have have a cheeky, dirty one, which I still secretly love and enjoy. Um, but, ju- you know, just not not pretending to be perfect and not feeling the expectation to being able to say, oh, hey, fucked up again. Is anyone prepared to <laughs> hold my hand or give us a call or say, good job, Amy, one week in, you know. So you found a spotter really helpful in quitting smoking, mm-hmm. like having someone stopping you from actually doing it. Do you, well, have you found that some spotters are better than others? Oh yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> oh man, don't ever ask a theatre kid to spot you. That's for sure. They'll be like, oh, well, the wheels fell off the bus. Drive on. <laughs> Let's get really drunk. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in fact, look, my my husband's really good for that stuff. He's not a smoker, um, but it's really interesting. I, I've been with some people who shame doesn't work for me, um, which is probably why I know it doesn't work for me as far as my productivity goes. The second that I feel boxed into that shame circle, I change and I get really guarded and I get really afraid and really frightened and that does stop my productivity. The second that I feel um, ashamed about something, I find it really hard to break through that next barrier. But one thing that's awesome about my husband is that that's not his bag either. So he would never go, like he doesn't like when I, you know, when the wheels fall off my smoking bus, but he would also never turn it into me being dirty or bad or like he would or never failure. T- no no he would never shift it to be like that he'd always be like okay righto try and have you know less than two today try and have less than one today and try and only do it like when you're at the theater and yeah. not like when you come home from the theater yeah yeah and then if I'm like you know oh 
I didn't smoke this fortnight. He'd be like, that's awesome. Great job. You know, like, so it's kind of nice to have a spotter who there isn't so much positive affirmation and there isn't that kind of negative dialogue either. Someone who can just be really even with you, who you can be really honest with about your own choices. Because I think that's the thing with productivity too. Like you're making room for things by choice. If I was to fail at one of those things, let's say I get halfway through my master's next year and everything falls to shit, you know, something happens with a family member or I just don't have the drive or mental health considerations, whatever. I want to know that I've got people in my corner that can also say, mate, that's okay. That's cool. We're going to try again. We'll try and make space for this another way. Um, or so, if it's something that you don't want to pursue, we can help you move on to a, another totally. thing and help you put that to bed in a way that you feel comfortable with. I don't think people let things go anywhere near as quickly as what they should. Um, I think as a society, we've got such a fear of failure that we claw onto things until they're dead and bleeding and we're dragging the carcass behind <laughs> us. And uh, look, I did that with relationships for years and years. I was in either platonic friendships, relationships with people or, you know, partnered romantic relationships with people that were just not a good, healthy thing. But I was always of the impression that if I let it go, I was this big shitty failure rather than actually you've got the balls and the bravery to let go to make space for things that bring you joy. So I think letting go is just as important as pushing through. You've just got to be as unattached to some of this stuff as you possibly can and keep people in your corner that can support you no matter what but also not be afraid to have tricky conversations with you as well. Like you don't want people around to just blow smoke up your ass, but I certainly don't respond well to people being hard on me or that concept of tough love. And I really try and not be a person who gives tough love because I just haven't seen it work as much as, you know, that kind of support. Yeah, I love the concept of you bringing up tough love because I respond quite well to tough love and mm. I give out a lot of tough love. That's a mm. bit like if, if someone's having a particularly tough time, I put myself as the friend who I'm there when you pick up the pieces. Mm. I don't, there's no rules against it, but if someone mm. comes to me, so for instance, just say someone gets divorced mm. and they want to cry and feel sad about it, I will absolutely be there for them mm. and do the best I possibly can but I do think that there are other people that are better suited to that. And totally. then when that person has done that bit, when this person who's divorced is ready to get their life back on track, I'm like, my time to shine, baby, come to me. We'll, oh, we'll sure. you know, so it's like. <laughs> I think that's so important too, Carly, like know who you are and what your vibe is, you know. So I've got a number of friends who they are the tough love queens. They will be sensible and they will be pragmatic. And I think. I've come to a place in my life at nearly 35 where I, and I've worked really hard. I've had a lot of therapy. I've done medication. I've done a lot of soul searching. I think I'm at the point in my life now where I know the friends who are going to give me that tough love and I'm brave enough to seek it when I really think I need it. And they are the friends who I would go to if shit really hit the fan. Yeah. And I needed someone there with a trailer and 25 bags and gloves on ready to like dig through the pile of shit. It's like the queer I, eye for the straight guy kind of friend. It's like, we're yes. going to sort you out. <laughs> yes, totally. And they, 
absolutely have their place. Um, you know, I think for me, that's not my strength. I think my strength is kind of in the empathy and in. We'd make in, a great team, you and me. We would be a great we'll, team. We'll, we'll send them to you first. And then when you're done with them and they're feeling comfortable Mate, and, and, and in I a safe it. spot, send them off to me and I'll whip them into shape. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And actually, it's one of the things that I really like about you. It's probably one of the reasons. I mean, you know, I've always loved your writing. And it's, you know, I was reading your blog from way back from when you were first writing it. I was there going, she's my friend and I'm going to share her. Isn't she great? Isn't she clever? Because I just, you know, I. I really resonated with the way that you would write about taking care of yourself and taking care of people. I think because it was quite different to what I would do naturally. So I think it's really important to offer people that choice, you know, because people respond to that stuff quite differently. And that can affect their productivity too. Someone, you know, sometimes you need a good kick up the ass. Um, and also sometimes you don't, and I also don't always need to kick up the ass. Sometimes mm. people put on their lovely kid gloves and treat me really nicely and I really do quite like it. So yeah. I think it's important to, and it's also kind of what season you're in as well. Like yeah. sometimes I do actually respond quite well to that softer touch and mm. other times, and particularly during the pandemic, I think a lot of people have just been behaving in ways that weren't necessarily typical for yes. them. And I think that's it, it's changed the way that people kind of relate to each other and relate to the changes in people and how that changes the way that they get things done as well when something is so global and so huge and all of our support net networks have just imploded totally. and we're kind of like grasping at straws. So Productivity was also, I mean, was totally turned on its head. Oh, completely. I, I, think, I think for the first time ever it was like, well, actually there is no need to discriminate against someone who cannot go into an office or who um, have found nine to five to not be the best to suit their productivity. You know, I think we we have really kind of um, had to face head on the idea of uh, not everyone being neurotypical. And I think that's been a really incredible process to be a part of. And I know that for myself, I mean, last year, I was under a lot of stress. I was working full time. My that was daughter your was first year, wasn't it? Yeah. So my my first year. Look, twenty eighteen was probably a pretty nightmare year for me. And by nightmare, I mean look. I was doing everything that I wanted to do, but I just had absolutely no space at all. And of course, that was the year that I fell pregnant with my daughter. So then I'm doing all of these things that that normally joy would be my motivator, but mate, I was feeling crook all the time. I was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I was, you know, teaching for the first time in 40 degrees. It was just, it was nuts. And then we got to 2019. And it was, you know, all of the fruits of that labour. My daughter was born in the February. I had my second surgery for my endometriosis when she was seven weeks old. We got married in the June um, and had hens and bucks and all that kind of thing. And then I was teaching full time by the August and my daughter was only five months old. And I got to last year, lockdown times, and it was the first time in years that I've stopped and it was... I, I remember it so clearly. I remember being so aware of my privilege in that moment and thinking, okay, I'm in a home that is safe and comfortable and warm with a husband I love, with a kid who I adore. We don't have any huge medical issues. Neither of us lost our jobs. And I You're just in thought, Canberra, which was one of the best uh, places to be in Australia. Absolutely. And I, I felt 
I felt so aware of that privilege that it did actually force me to stop and deeply examine what was going on in other parts of Australia and globally. And look, the the realisation that I came to in myself was that I had been pushing myself too hard and that that was no longer productive for me. It was really good to get to where I needed to go to do that long, hard slog, but it was it was COVID where I stopped and went, I want to spend time with my kid. I want to play on the floor and, you know, I want to make, you know, hats out of newspaper and stupid shit like that. I Like, I, you know, I want to be there with her, but I also want to teach and I really want to do a master's. So what needs to happen? And I had to really consider what my boundaries were going to be around that time. And I am shitty at boundaries. I've always been shitty at them. As someone who observes the way that you live your life, I actually think you're amazing with boundaries because you will often make your boundaries really public. Like you will write something on Facebook and you'll be like, this is a boundary that I'm having. And and often you will remove yourself from social media and say, I'm actually not cool to hang out with people for the next week or so. Um, Catch up with me in a a week or so. And every time you do that, I just fist bump. I think it's, I think it's outstanding. That actually brings me to, it brings me to one of my other points about you is that you're really good at pulling the plug on things that aren't serving you, but you've also just got such an amazing sense of follow through as well. You do power through things. So mm. as you were saying last year, you did yoga teacher training as well, didn't you? I did my yoga teacher. Oh, this yeah. was, yeah. So, so in 2017, that was the year that I started doing uni full time. I was working. I did. Um, I started doing my prax in that year. We took a performance over to Monaco to the oh, Mondial du Teatre, yeah. um, and then and then I did my 200 hour yoga teacher training on the tail end of that. So, like when I say I got to lockdown and I literally hadn't stopped in a good couple of years, that was a big realisation to me that, woo, you have just powered through. And actually, you're nearly 35. You're not as sprightly as you used to be. And, babe, you're tired. Like, you deserve to just kind of have a little bit of space and time. Um, You know, I think the yoga teacher training was really interesting because that's been a really fundamental part of that shift for me as well. Um, the yoga teacher training, which I did with Solution in Canberra, was one of the most enlightening experiences of my life because I'm not a very athletic person. I'm not super fit. You know, I've never been a gym junkie. I, you know, it's just not... I never considered myself to be a very fit or a very strong person. Um, but but when I found yoga back in 2016, it kind of unlocked this weird tension that had just been existing in my body, I think, for, for years and years. And I always say to people, I'll never forget the first yoga class I took, I felt like my body was a towel and that it was just being wrung out of all of this bullshit that had been kind of cultivating in the corners of my body and it just went shoo. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> That's cool. So, so I coupled that with a, a pretty rigorous therapy regime and I started going to fortnightly therapy sessions just to work through some of the weird baggage that I'd held on to. Um, and, and it became a really important part of my life. But, you know, yoga is really similar to that whole idea of play, you know, challenge yourself to 
to do a handstand, even if you're 30 and you feel like a bit of a dick doing it. <laughs> and, you know, you're not there to look amazing in your leggings. You know, you're there to get rid of some shit that you've been holding on to and to be in the moment. You can't get up and leave halfway through a yoga class. You just look like a psycho, <laughs> you know, like you plow through even when you feel uncomfortable because that reward at the end is just so great. That feeling when you're lying on your back in Shavasana, that kind of final resting it's pose. always my favourite part. Just, oh, let me close my eyes, have a little nap. It's divine. And also like if you've really... If you've really worked out some of those kinks, you do get to let that stuff go, you know, and it's like that whole concept of holding on too tight to stuff. You've got you've to let it go. You don't get the joy. You don't get the productivity if you're holding on to too much external bullshit or, you know, too many concepts or ideas about what you should be and who you should be. You've just got to shake it, you know. Speaking of rewards, we I know that we've discussed a lot how joy is and play and, uh, you know, kind of I think just loveliness is one of the things that kind of drives you forward. Have any other styles of motivation worked for you, like punishment, reward? I know that you said that shame doesn't work for you. Yeah, look, and I don't think punishment works for me either. Um, you know, I the yoga teacher training really taught me so much about getting through one day at a time. Um, I think that's very true for moments of grief, um, these kind of periods of turmoil in your life where you've you've just got to put one foot in front of the other until the thing, whatever the thing is at the time, until that is behind you. And then I think once it's behind you and once it's done, surrounding yourselves with kind of mementos. Um, there's a book actually. Here we go. I'll hold it up for you to see <laughs> it's Carly. <right> there. <laughs> and for for our for our listeners, it's called <laughs> Steal Like an Artist. And it's by a guy called Austin Cleon. And and I discovered this book when I was first doing my teacher's prac. And it's um it's you know it's kind of about productivity, but it's it's also about you know how do you be an artist or a maker? How how can you be creative and just shut up that inner voice that's in the back of your head constantly telling you, you're a piece of shit? Like how, how, how can you move forward? One of my favourite things in this book, it says keep a praise file. Um, and I found that to be such an interesting concept. Like I suppose for me as an actress, um, people can see a show of mine and they can say whatever they like about me publicly. And, you know, sometimes it's amazing. And I, I read the reviews and I go, oh, that's so touching. That's so beautiful. Oh, I must have been amazing. And then every now and again, you get one where someone hasn't liked what you've done. Um, and again, you've got to let them both go because they're just opinions. So it's really lovely to hear the lovely things that people say about you. Um, you know, I love that expression, you can be the ripest peach in the world and someone's still going to be allergic to peaches. You know, um, you can't always please everybody. But when you have a praise file, and so I've got a couple of praise files, I've got an electronic one, which is um, emails from parents and students and, you know, kind of beautiful one-liners in reviews that I've captured over the years and, and that kind of thing. Um, and then I've got a hard copy one, which is, you know, really lovely cards that people have written me or um, dicky awards for things that really meant something at the time or photographs. And, you know, I think it's, it's really lovely to keep souvenirs to be able to look back on, but also to have that kind of 
reflective space where in the moment you can let it go. It's someone's opinion. The good stuff, don't hold on too tight because, you know, the next thing it might be something not great and you don't want your... um, You don't want to have external validation to be your sole motivator. It's got to be for a deeper purpose. So for me, it's always about the the creativity and the making and just putting one foot in front of the other and, you know, just doing things that inspire you. I think that just about wraps it up. Oh, Amy, good. I, that was a beautiful <laughs> spot. I was going to ask you a couple of other things, but I'm like, no, I think you just nailed it. We're going to have to leave it there. I think that oh, was beautiful. Bless. Thanks, friend. <laughs> Thank Look, you so was, much, Amy. It was so it, beautiful having you on the show. It was a joy talking about it, honestly. <laughs> like, like the only thing that I can say to people, I'm not perfect, but just don't hold on to anything too tight. You know, just try and find ways to to let it go one foot in front of the other and, and find something that you can just love with all your heart. So that was my chat with the illustrious Amy, one of those people that you meet in life that just makes you want to be a better person. So after my chat with Amy and doing some research... I've concluded that joy does actually seem to be both scientifically and anecdotally one of the best motivation boosters out there. There's so much evidence to support the claim that happy people are more productive. A Gallup Healthways study estimates that unhappiness among US workers costs $300 billion per year in lost productivity. Just think about that for a second. $300 billion in lost productivity simply because people are unhappy. There's another series of studies done by Andrew J. Oswald that proves that happiness positively impacts productivity. So they conducted an experiment where they showed half of the participants a comedy video that increased the participants' serotonin levels, and then they displayed 12% greater productivity than the control group who watched a placebo clip. So that means that that was 12% more productivity just from watching a funny video and increasing your joy levels. And I mean, really, you don't have to be a scientist to know that when you're in a good mood, you like stuff more. I think that's a little bit Captain Obvious. A second study by the same group of scientists looked at unhappiness too. They took a look at major shocks such as bereavement or family illness and how they impact productivity. In this study, a random group of people were given a questionnaire about their happiness level and possible negative life events. Then they performed the same tasks as the subjects in the previous experiment. Turns out that having a bad life event in the previous two years lowers people's performance by approximately 10%, which won't be a shock to anyone who's experienced a bad life event. So according to these studies, happiness can increase productivity by 12%, while unhappiness can decrease productivity by 10%. So this information is equally useful as it is useless. The jury is still out on whether or not we can force ourselves to be happy. It's certainly available to some people, but those with chemical imbalances or those with experiencing who have experienced traumatic life events recently obviously won't be able to. So that's just a little bit of a disclaimer. This is not a podcast that's going to tell you to just pretend to be happy. This is only going to work if that's available to you. And if you do suffer from chronic depression or you have had some sort of a major traumatic life event in the last two years, then this probably isn't going to be available to you. 
So with that in mind, if it is available to you, here are a few ways to increase your happiness. I'm not going to say exercise, eat well, sleep, drink less alcohol, because you already know to do that, right? Here are a few other things you can do once you've covered the very, very basics. You can try tightening your triangle. You'd be surprised how much commuting affects your mental health. And I mean, look, it's not something we can always control, but recently a lot of people have been working from home and a lot of people are saying how much they love it. And that's in the middle of a pandemic. Imagine how much you would love working from home when life is just as it normally is. So there's something to be said for a very short or non-existent commute. The fact that we tend to commute twice a day, at least five days a week, makes it unsurprising that the effect would build up over time and make us less and less happy. Harvard psychologist Daniel Gilbert says, driving in traffic is a different kind of hell every day, and I'm inclined to agree. If you have been following me for a while, you'll know I value working from home above almost anything when it comes to work. I'll do literally anything as long as I don't have to leave my house. It's that important to me. I also used to be a teacher, which was a job I really, really loved, but I valued working from home or anywhere I liked more than that. If you're not already working from home, shorten your commute if possible. And if that means changing jobs, well, it might actually be worth it. I don't mean change careers. I mean change jobs. So if you're a nurse or a lawyer or someone who works in a supermarket or someone who does shift work where you're you being able to do your job is reliant on your presence. Think very carefully about accepting jobs that are a 50 minute commute from your house instead of a 10 minute commute from your house. And again, it's not always possible to control these things. Like, you know, I've, I, when I worked as a teacher, I'd often get a job that was an hour and a half commute and then I'd commute for an hour and a half every day. But it just depends on what it is that is actually of value to you. There was also a study I found years ago that I haven't been able to find again, but there was some solid research that suggested that the smaller the triangle between where you live, shop and work, the happier you are. And in my anecdotal evidence, when I didn't have to travel very far to work or shop from where I lived, I was much, much happier. I keep thinking about when I lived in Fitzroy and I worked from home. So I had a Coles supermarket right on my doorstep and my triangle was so tiny. It was barely a triangle. And I loved living in Fitzroy. So I do think that there is something to be said for the smaller your triangle, the happier you are. And you know, that might be something you can do, but it might... And you know that might not be something you can do, but if you can, maybe consider it. You can also try taking the batteries out of the TV remote. In the book, The Happiness Advantage, Sean Aker talks about wanting to learn to play guitar and what was stopping him. Turns out it was the TV. I think most people would have social media as their Achilles heel, but for Sean, it was the TV. So he took the batteries out of the remote and suddenly found all this extra time to learn to play guitar. In order to increase your happiness, you have to remove or disable the thing that is affecting this growth of happiness. This is going to look different for different people, but here are a few things you might want to consider. Taking the TV out of your bedroom so you sleep better at night removing social media from your phone, removing the news from your phone, turning your phone off completely for a night or perhaps the whole weekend, unfollow or mute the people on social media who trigger negative thought patterns in you. Whatever it is that is aiding your procrastination doom cycle thinking, take the batteries out of it, take away its power. Anything that is standing in the way of you feeling joy and feeling at peace, 
take away its power. Another thing you might want to consider is listening to the musical Les Mis. Not specifically Les Mis, but just sad songs in general. There's a study from 2015 which proves that people with depression can feel better after listening to sad songs. Now, I don't know about you, but this makes perfect sense to me. Historically, I love a good shower cry and belting out Eponines, a little fall of rain while I'm waiting for my conditioner to soak in. It's pretty bloody cathartic. This study discovered that there are four main reasons why we take comfort in melancholy songs. Firstly, they allow us to drift off into another world. Secondly, they provide us with catharsis. So that's emotion regulation. Thirdly, they allow us to relate to a common emotion. So empathy, that is if the song is directly related to the thing that you're feeling. But conversely, they can also divorce us from our actual problems. So if the song is not about the thing that you're, you're, you are experiencing, then there'll be no real life implications and it can give us a bit of space between what we're feeling and what is in the song. Researchers determined that listening to sad music can lead to beneficial emotional effects such as regulation of negative emotions and mood as well as consolation. So I reckon you need to just bust out some sad ballads. Can I suggest Adele? Maybe a little bit of Alanis if you want to get shouty. Get those sad songs happening. And anyone who loves Les Mis, at least 60% of the songs in that are really really depressing. So get on my Miz. And finally, pay attention to how you respond to traditional stick and carrot motivation methods. For example, a childcare center became sick of people picking their kids up late from childcare. So they decided to charge parents a late fee for every 10 minutes they were late to pick up their kid. The center manager expected the problem to disappear, but was shocked to discover a few months later that the rate of late pickups had actually doubled since they introduced the late fee. They interviewed the parents to get to the bottom of it and discovered that when the parents felt they were simply inconveniencing the childcare staff, their motivation to pick up on time was amplified. No one wanted to be the horrible parent keeping the staff from leaving on time. Once the stick punishment of late fees was applied, the guilt evaporated and the parents felt like they were buying that extra time and were owed it rather than the late fee being a punishment. So I tell this story so that you can apply it to your own life and figure out whether or not stick and carrot motivation works for you instead of joy. I was chatting to Amy before, as you heard, and she was saying that stick and carrot reward and punishment styles of motivation don't really work for her most of the time. For me, they do actually work a lot of the time. Not always, but most of the time. So have a look at what is working in your life and whether or not punishment and reward works. And if it doesn't, maybe take it away and focus on joy. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs. You can find me on Instagram at carlyjacobs.com. That's carlyjacobs, D-O-T-C-O-M. You can also email me productivity at carlyjacobs.com. You can also record a question for me to answer on the show at speakpipe.com forward slash productivity. Also, if you love the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Even $5 a month would be a huge help in covering production costs, editing, equipment, promotion, and guest wrangling. Just visit patreon.com forward slash productivity. Oh, and one more thing, please leave a rating and a review. It's the best way to help other people find the podcast. To those 20 or so of you that have left reviews in the last few weeks, thank you so 
much. It just makes my day. I also really appreciate all of the very nuanced feedback I've been getting. It's helping me improve and make this podcast into what you want it to be. Until next time, remember, little habits, big life. Thank you.